Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This started with a wreck and went from there to double murder over 75,000 bucks worth of glitter that nobody got in the end. Because I found out just in time what was fishy about the tale of the mermaid. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. With Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Tale of the Mermaid. At 9.30, I was still in my office, sucking in the loose ends on a report. While I listened with half an ear to the fabric of city towns rising from the street below. Fabric ripped suddenly by tires pawing concrete. A shattering crash that followed brought me to my feet. It was a traffic accident, a bad one. I ran to the window, but it had happened around the corner out of sight from my office. So I watched others run for it and remembered grimly that every 30 seconds, somewhere in the country, a thing like that happened. And one out of every 16 minutes was fatal. I wondered who had been chewed up in a chromium meat grinder this time as I listened to first the police and the emergency ambulance and finally the scavenger truck cleaned the wreck off the street. After that, I went back to my report again and tried to forget about it. But an hour later, that same accident came back into my office. Mr. Marlowe? Yeah? This is Corey Riggs. Uh, yes, Miss Riggs? I'm a nurse at the Warwick Emergency Hospital. Uh-huh. About an hour ago, a man named Stanley Ott was brought in and calling for you. For me? He was badly injured in an automobile accident on Coenga on his way to your office. Wait a minute. Who did you say this was? I'm the nurse assigned to Mr. Ott at the hospital. I just got off duty and I had to wait until I was relieved before I could call you. I see. Well, look, Miss Riggs, I'd like to help in any way I can, but it's not... Mr. Marlowe, Mr. Ott gave me $250 and told me to call you. Yeah, I know, but... And he said that I should give you $250 for myself. Oh, fine. I'll get clients by proxy. I... Beg your pardon? Nothing. I'll be right over, Miss Briggs. I didn't know anyone named Stanley out, and I felt a little like an ambulance chaser, but I was only 15 minutes from getting to the emergency hospital. As I walked up the ambulance ramp, a smart-looking brunette came toward me. I'm Corey Riggs, the nurse who called. Oh, hello. Can I see him now? It wouldn't do any good. You see, uh, he went into a coma a few minutes after I called. Oh, too late, is that it? Let's move away from the door, shall we? Sure. You see, Mr. Marlowe, before he went into the coma, Art wasn't rational. He was raving. About what sort of thing? About you and a girl. Oh? As near as I could make out, she's supposed to meet someone tonight at 2 o'clock and collect $75,000. Quite an assignment. Who's the girl? I don't know. All Art said was something about a, a plaid coat as identification. Plaid coat, huh? Any idea what he wanted me to do? Chaperone, maybe? No, he, he kept pleading, stop her, stop her, she can't do it. So I'm sure that he wanted you to prevent this girl from keeping that appointment. For some reason, it seems absolutely imperative to him. Where was this 2 o'clock meeting supposed to take place? I have no idea. Oh, fine. So it boils down to this. A girl we don't know in a plaid coat is meeting someone we don't know at a place we don't know at 2 a.m. The man who wants me to prevent it is in a coma and can't talk. Can you say anything else, Miss Ray? 
he just kept saying, you've got to help me, Marlowe. It's life and death. You know, we can stir up an awful hornet's nest poking our noses into 75000 bucks worth of business we know nothing about. I doubt that we can do any good anyway. Because we don't have enough to go on. He said anything else to even point uh, in the right... Marlowe. What? Wait a minute. He mumbled something once about a... Constantine. Constantine? Yes, it's here. What is it, a boat? I don't know. But at least it's a lead, isn't it? Mm. Anything else? Mm, no. Okay, where can I reach you? I'll be at my quarters. Press you 5781. 5781. And keep track of Stanley Art's condition, will you? If he comes out of it, talk to him. We've only got three short hours. I'll call you, Corey. <laughs> Goodbye, Mr. Goodbye. As the little wharf rats darted through the 
about 35 in a substantial gray business suit, stained red in front where the bullets had gone in. His wallet was missing. There was no other identification on him. The gray snap-rimmed hat was filled a few feet away, so I picked it up to look for initials and found it said a small file card stuck into the sweatband. Typed at the top was the heading, The Mermaid. Owner, Otis Van Owen, only relative, Evelyn Van Owen, niece. Mermaid told him about the 12th, 1948. Insurance capable. In ink, Van Owen died August 1949, and under that in pencil, Constantine Chevno, Venice Pier, and Louis Paradise. 9.13, Secret Road, Palisade. 20 minutes to 5, 9.13, Secret. When I stopped and got close enough of what I saw through an open window made Constantine's trap I just left. Looking for a libel as a post office by comparison. With a miniature Egyptian temple, exotic and dainty, sickening lushness of red velvet and yellow silk. In the center of the room was a bloated little man, balancing a long cigarette holder in one hand. While he simpered into a honey-colored fresh phone in the other. I moved up quietly until I could hear him. Uh, uh, sentimental of That is right, Evelyn. Your Uncle Otis and I, we're the best of friends for years. <laughs> well, thank you, child. Uh, where are you now? Oh, in the servitor. Good, good. I advise you to stay there until a few minutes before two, and uh, <laughs> you uh, will not forget to wear a sad coat just to be sure I won't make a mistake. What is it? What? Stranger here. 
If you would close your mouth and open your eyes more often, Prince Constantine, you would not be the nervous wreck you are. Is is Mr. Marlowe, another stupa. Uh, another one. Paradise. Paradise, listen to me. It's better if we quit. It's better if we don't try it tonight. It's out of hand. I don't like it now. We should get away and come back next year and do it. Ah, no jellyfish there. No. Nothing to worry about no. now. Insurance investigators Why? often work no. in pairs. Is that not so, Marlowe? Your pitch, round man. You don't need any help from me. You are so right. Rudy and I caught the first at your place, Constantine. Da, da, da. Now we have the second one Good. here. That is all there are. The danger is over. It's over. clear sailing for yeah, now. But on. what about that cadaver you had the audacity to leave lying in my cell? Oh, what about that? Excuse me, Constantine. Forgive that me, was a necessity. Forgive I am sorry. Hey, Rudy. Is this going on all the time? Yeah. It is awful. Now lie down! Uh, there was some reason 
Well, like cats, their voices. Okay, Rudy, you've had enough rest. Now, let's get back to business. Now, now wait a minute. Come on, get up. We're going to talk. Wait, hold it, please. No reason for any more rough stuff. I'll cooperate. That's better. Where did Paradise and his highness head for? The canals, though. Where is it? I don't know. Come on, you said there was no reason for rough stuff. Remember? Ow! Yeah. Yeah, I remember. That canals, though. That's something I never heard of. An unhappy coincidence, Rudy. It's one thing I'm interested in. Yeah, wait. Must be something else you want to know. Something else I could tell you that... Hey. Hey, what are you going to do? You mean you Stay can't away. tell, Rudy? That's hey, boy. Funny. All it takes is a little imagination. Ah! With Rudy out of the way, I started through the place looking for all important answers to what was the Ganazzo. The 20 minutes of turning drawers and closets inside out revealed nothing more exciting than Louis Paradise's address book. First names only. And a picture of a girl named Toodle who belonged to the Roaring Twenties. And by this time should have caught her death of cold. Sister, no doubt. But no lead on the Ganazzo. So on the slim chance that my client Stanley Ott might already be back in this world and able to help, I got outside into my car and drove to the first drugstore where after checking the phone books under everything from bars to bathhouses for a Ganazzo and getting no place, I called Corey Riggs at the nurse's home. No, Marlo. Stanley Ott's still unconscious. I just talked to the night nurse on his floor. They expect him to come out of it soon. Uh, why? What happened? Well, it's too much to explain now, Corey, but that girl, the one in the plaid coat, mm -hmm. I found out that her name's Evelyn Van Owen, and she's staying at the Surf Hotel. Now, see if that much checks with Art when he comes to, will you? All right. Oh, also, there's a diamond-studded item called the Mermaid, which accounts for that 75000 he mentioned. A Constantine and the Pier now equal a phony Russian prince who runs a spook palace out on the old Venice Pier. Now, you got all that? Uh-huh. Good. Now, look, honey, listen real hard. Before Art passed out, did he by any chance say the word Ganazzo? Ganazzo? Yeah. Mm, no. What does it mean? I don't know. I, I think it's the name of a place. Oh, have you uh, checked the phone book? Yeah, yeah. It's no dice, Corey. Also, I checked one Mr. Louis Paradise, who you might uh, mention. Marlo, Marlo, wait a minute. What's Hold the wire, will you? There's a girl here, one of the nurses, who's trying to tell me something. Uh. It, it's the Ganazzo, Marlo. Shh, wait a minute. She knows something about it. Here, it's Rosemary. You talk Rosemary, fast, please, it's important. Well, that means let's go to my place. Gnazdo's the word for nest. Sort of like cozy apartment or cottage. My place, nest. You sure of that? Well, I'm positive. I was an army nurse in the war, and I spent two years in Germany after the shooting part was over. Two years, a half a block away from the Russian zone. That's close enough. Thanks a million, Rosemary. I don't mention it. Here's Corey. Oh. Yeah, I think so. At any rate, unless I'm way off base, it's where both the mermaid and all parties concerned are going to rendezvous at 2 a.m. That's less than a half hour from now. The prince's place on the pier. I want to be early, so goodbye, Corey. I'll call again when I know more. Yeah, and give my everlasting love to girlfriend Rosemary. She all is show of peace. <laughs> Still a few parts missing, the way there always are. But as I drove past for the old Venice Pier and added as I went along, it came out something like the team of paradise and Prince Whatchamacallit, ready, willing, and able to pay 75 grand for a piece of jewelry that one Evelyn Van Owen now owns. 
mermaid. According to the data I found on the insurance man's body, it once been stolen from Evelyn's late uncle. But I left it there when my rearview mirror set a long gray sedan that had been tagging me discreetly for the last three blocks. Now being a delegate about it and closing fast. The driver was old pal Rudy, and as he came abreast, he headed for me. You're okay. You're okay, Mac. Don't you worry about a thing. We'll have you out of there in a minute. Hey, can't you knock out that horn? Knock out the horn, sir. What do you think we're trying to do? It ain't so easy to get my hand past the horse. Hello. Oh. Oh. That's better. Hey. Hey, Cabby, what'd I hit? Well, in order of their appearance, Mac, your car into a telephone pole, and then you into your dashboard. Yeah, you're sure lucky you bounced off the car first. Uh, I am not so brave. 
glittering pieces of white coal set in a metal frame we call precious. Look at the sucker's grass. That's all, Marlowe. Home and to bed. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Mel Dinelli, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Rita Lynn, John Daner, Michael Ann Barrett, Wilms Herbert, Junius Matthews, Herb Vigran, and Mark Lawrence. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Oran. Be sure and be with us next week when Philip Marlowe says... It started with a terrified woman lost in a maze of memories she couldn't explain. Waiting for her outside an open window was dead. Another show has joined the CBS Sunday Night Parade. It's the Contented Hour, starring Buddy Clark and featuring the finest in popular and semi-classical music. It comes to you on most of these CBS stations for the first time tomorrow night, making its debut on CBS the same night as Red Skelton and Edgar Bergen and Charles McCarthy. Yes, this fall, you hear them all on CBS. This is Paul Masterson speaking. Now stay tuned for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This started with a terrified woman lost in a maze of memories she couldn't explain. And waiting for her outside an open window was death. <laughs> the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Open Window. California's a year-round kind of place. 
where each day blends into the next with a sort of sunny indifference. But the one just past had been a little special. It was the cool, crisp autumn weather that reminded you of the east, where autumn meant kicking your way through knee-deep drifts of brown and yellow leaves, along a rutted country road that hinted of adventure at every turn. Yeah, that's the kind of a day it had been. But now, at a little past eight, as I stood at the window of my third-floor apartment, stared out over enough improved Los Angeles real estate to house maybe half a million people that tonight I wanted no part of, because the world was out there minding everybody else's business, while I was in here minding my own. In here, everything was in order and cozy. I could read if I want to, write a letter if I want to, or just relax with... supposed to see me about. Who are you, Mr. Fulham? What sort of business? I'm a private detective. Private detective? Wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not that bad a racket. <laughs> oh, now, look. Why don't you come in and we'll talk this over, huh? Come on. There. Sit down, won't you? You look like a newly beef accuser. Drink. You want one? No, thank you. Thank you. 
she needed most was rest, and she was getting that fast, so I dropped the items from a purse into my pocket, snapped the lock on my apartment door, and left. My first stop was the phone downstairs in the lobby, where I found out that the missing persons bureau had no one on file answering her description. My next stop was 8400 North Virgin. A half hour later, I found it, a crumbling stucco rooming house in a welter of knobby hills, huddled with other ramshackle houses that years ago had abandoned any hope of beauty face of the leaky, bobbing oil wells that had invaded the neighborhood like a horde of huge, greasy grasshoppers. I walked past one of the creaking monsters in the front yard, then down a grimy hall, where door marked manager, Jacob Philpotts, below which some neighborhood wagon penciled stinks. Wasn't funny. Neither was Jake Philpotts. Yeah, 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 what well, is this? Speak up, Sporty. I'm very busy killing a soldier. What's on your mind besides your hat? <laughs> okay, comic, I want to see Tompkins. Oh, you want to see Tompkins? That's what I said. Well, you're too late, Sporty. He's gone. Blew. Blew the coop. Took the 500. Well, this was shoved off two hours ago. Well, where? Well, for his hometown, I guess. Vancouver. Way up in Canada. Which is a long walk, Sporty, so you better get started by... Wait a minute, Jake. Huh? Where did Tompkins get the 500? Where did he get... Why, some classy guy gave it to him. Classy guy? Why? Why, to get out of town and stay out. So he does. Uh-huh. But first he pays back all his back rent and buys me a bottle beside. <laughs> Wasn't that sweet of him? That stuff over there? Yeah. Must have hated you. Who was the classy guy? Why do you want Tompkins out of town? Why do you want Tompkins out of town? How do I know? What am I in a psychopedia? Hey, look, Nosey, my whiskey's getting cold, so why don't you run along? I want to know who the I, guy was, and I want it now. Oh, so you're going to stop pushing, huh? You want to fight, huh? Okay, <laughs> put him up. Come on. Take it easy, Buster. Take it easy. You'll beat yourself to death. Now, let's negotiate. Right. Drop up against the wall, and I'll talk to you. What about a price for another bottle of that stuff? I wouldn't like to see him for Another bottle? That's what I said. Oh, well, that's different. That's very nice of you, Sporty. Not really, kid. I'm trying to poison you. You know what? What's Tompkins' racket? Oh, um, Gardner, Carpenter, Handyman. Nothing much. Uh, Who was the classy guy that bought him off? I, uh, let's see. Uh, his name, I don't remember. I can't remember it, though. The red-headed, flashy vessel had a sort of a... Oh! Oh! Palmer, Palmer. Yeah, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Palmer. Very good. Now, one more. Where can I find it? Well, he said something about running the... Uh, the pearls. You got it? Yeah, it's a dive on Highland. Thanks, Phil Butts. Oh, but don't thank me, Sporty. You bought it, remember? This brand comes to seven fifty. Don't kid an old kid at Jake. You can squeeze that junk out of sour potatoes. Here's sour potatoes? And have a happy hangover. <laughs> Outside, the smell of the oil well as I passed it was welcome by comparison to Jake which made it tough to reconcile anything I'd seen at 8400 North Virgil, the girl asleep on the divan in my apartment. As I drove back to Hollywood, then down Highland Avenue, the night was still strangely quiet. Everything seemed to come in whispers. Even the hunch I had that the vanishing Mr. Tompkins had sold out dirt cheap to the boss of the pearls. Near 3rd Street, I spotted the place, parked the ways beyond it and walked back. It was one of those dumps that dealt in bad bar whiskey, second-rate bop and a lot of darkness. I shook off a brace of lost weekenders on my way through. 
made it up the stairs to the offices where a block of orange light on the floor and a two-tone conversation told me to stop, look, and listen. Alan, as they say, it's have to show you, huh? All right, Norma, I will. You're not easy to get over. I still love you and I've missed you. So when you dropped me for your stuffy broker friend, I did a little checking up and I found out plenty. About Cooper? About Cooper Gerard. I don't believe you. Oh, but you should, honey. You see, Norma, it's not about him specifically, but about a woman. A woman who's all wrong, who spells trouble this deep, and I can prove it. I went to work on it tonight, and things are going to be different from now on. Hey, I'm buddy, sh- buddy, I want to get, get out, out of here. Get out of here. Go on. I said beat it, my man. Never mind, Buster. It doesn't matter anymore. My presence is now known. Come on in, Junior. You can hear better inside. I doubt it. I'll inhibit the performance. Thanks anyway. Buddy, all I want to know is... Try the end of the hall, then left. It's usually there. Okay, thanks. That's all I want to know. Hello. Hello. What do you want, mister? Make it snappy. Okay. Why'd you pay Tompkins to leave town tonight? Tompkins? Who are you? Marlowe, going to answer the question formally? Why, certainly. I didn't pay him to leave town. I paid him for some work, carpenter work. Why? What's the matter, Alan? Feel the Not a bit, baby. Look, why don't you run along now? I'll call you later. Oh, uh, here's your cigarette case. My cigarette case? Yeah. Take it with you. We'll get in touch later. Yeah. Good night, Marlowe. Good night, Miss, uh, uh... I'm Cass, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cute kid. Come on, too, all right, all right. Why are you interested in Tompkins? There's a certain lady's interest in And a lady's name? None of your business. Okay. What? It's key. What door does it fit, Pomley? How should I know? Have you got anything else? Isn't that enough? Not enough to worry about, Milo, so I suggest that you leave. And in case you have any doubts, this thing goes off awful easy. I see your point. Yeah. And I'd just as soon shoot as not, so start down those stairs and don't look back. I bust for a couple of the boys. They'll be at the bottom. They'll help you out the front door. Oh, and Marlo, take some advice. I don't like your type, so don't come back. The boys escorted me politely as far as the sidewalk and gave me a send-off that piled me into the gutter. My own fault for letting Pomley get the drop on me, but he was farther ahead of me than I figured. In fact, I was lucky all I got was the bounce. I limped back to my car, got in and started home, but something about the trio of Norma Lacasso, Pomley, and a broker named Gerard was off-center. And Gerard's connections were too strong to pass up. So I decided to let the pale woman asleep in my apartment go right on sleeping while I stopped at a phone booth. Found only one Cooper Gerard listed, and he at 8112 North Orange Drive. The lonely house up in the Hollywood Hills. I tried the bell and got no answer. But I knew he was there. I slipped the enigmatic key out of my pocket and listened to the music coming from inside. I stuck it in the lock. Turned. Just the footsteps inside, so I pulled it out fast and let the party on the other side of the door do the honors. What is it? You're Mr. Gerard? Yes, I'm Cooper Gerard. What is it? I'd like to come in and talk to you. My name's Marlowe. I'm a private detective. I've got a key that fits your front door, plus a little photo album full of a girl. Here. Why, that's Margaret's album. Her key. You found her, Felicia. What's happened to her? She's safe. Come in the other room. Right. Your name's Margaret, huh? Margaret what? Beasy. Margaret Beasy. But where is she? I've been frantic. I just called the police. She left the house this morning and didn't come back. Late now, and in her condition, I'm afraid that What is Margaret's condition, Mr. Gerard? She was injured in an auto accident a year ago last July. Up near Vancouver. Affected her mind. 
finish. Just I must a minute. Get... There are some questions that I'd like answered first. Exactly what is Margaret Vesey to you? Until July 9th, 1948, when that horrible accident happened. Nothing. Merely a hitchhiker. My wife and I were motoring back from a vacation in Canada. Picked Miss Vesey up on the road. The accident, Grace. Why? Was killed. Miss Vesey seriously injured. All I knew about her was that she was alone in the world, so there was no one to help her. Well, since I was driving the car, I assumed that responsibility. It was the least I could do. I stayed with her in Vancouver until she partially recovered and then brought her here. She's been with me ever since. Now, will you please take me to her? The story doesn't end there. What do you mean? Margaret Vesey's in trouble and she's scared. What do you know about a man named Tompkins? Why? Nothing. I don't know any Tompkins. You know a normal Acasso, don't you? Norma? Of course, Mr. Acasso and I are quite good friends. What about Alan Parmalee? Heard of him. Runs a nightclub, I believe. That's but... right. Now tell me, can you tell me why a third picture is missing in the album? What's that? Let me see. Very strange. Margaret cherishes every picture in this album. She thinks that one was stolen. Any idea what the picture was? No. I can't imagine why it was stolen. All the pictures were simple, harmless snapshots. Can't remember the one that's missing. Marla, what does all this mean? What's it all about? Well, as near as I can tell, there's some kind of nasty shakedown brewing. I don't know how or why, but Alan Pomley's behind it, and Margaret Vesey's caught in the middle, so it involves you, too. Come on, let's go get her. She's sleeping in my place. Did you leave her alone? Yes, I did. You shouldn't have done that. Couldn't you tell from her mental state that she isn't responsible? For two days, she's been moody. She's been talking about suicide. She might... Marla, if anything's happened... Come on, Gerard, let's travel. <laughs> Just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, by the time you've listened to Johnny Dollar, Philip Marlowe, Gangbusters, and Escape in the CBS All-Star Saturday Night lineup, you may be for some sleuthing of your own. So try it with Sing It Again and The Phantom Voice. Don't always let the other guy or gal solve the mystery. Try it yourself with Sing It Again on most of these same CBS stations every Saturday night. Tune in, tune in this fall. For the shows that you love best of all. Listen carefully. Here's the address. It's CBS, CBS. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Open Window. It took ten minutes to get from Gerard's house to my place. I knew because he reminded me of each one as it passed. But when we turned on to Franklin, where we could see my apartment house, the word hurry stuck in his throat. An ambulance was pulling away from a tight knot of people standing on the concrete driveway beside the building. And three floors above them, glowing like a single ugly, unblinking eye, was the window of my own apartment wide open. Even before I could stop the car, Gerard was out and running toward the crowd. Who was in that ambulance? A woman, mister. It was terrible. She fell out of that open window up there. Did you see it? No, nobody saw it happen. Yes, bad, brother. They say she'd been laying here on the concrete for at least a half hour before anybody got to her. It's been so quiet around here tonight. I'm surprised Wait, tell me, was she, was she dead? Just about. They don't give her a chance. Come on, Gerard. Let's go upstairs. The police are up there now. They're trying to find out... Ask you for help. Is that right? That's right, officer. She was frightened and exhausted. 
I left. She was asleep on the divan there. With the door locked, Marlowe. Yeah, it's got a night light, Gerard. I snapped it myself. And you left her alone, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, take a look around. We'll just see if you can find anything to indicate that an outsider came in while you were gone. What makes you think there was an outsider here? Because I don't think she fell. Like it was a mental turmoil, officer. She's been despondent. It's possible that she jumped. Yeah? How many people have you heard of that jumped out of a window backwards, mister? I think she was pushed. Pushed? Yeah. Come here, both of you. I want to show you. He went over to the window and pointed to five scratches where fingernails had clawed the paint off the casing. The one that had to be made by her thumb was the lowest. It was true. She'd gone out backwards. As the officer explained that to Gerard, I stared down at the dwindling knot of people three stories below. Then up again at the five jagged scars ripped deep by a terrified woman's nails. Stared at them until they screamed at me as a sick mind must have screamed when she fell. Marlowe, what about this cigarette stuff with lipstick on it? Cigarette stuff with... Hey, that's exactly what I'd like to know, Gerard. Where does Norma live? Why, in the Hillcrest apartment on Sunset. But surely Never mind what she... I think. You go to the hospital and find out about Margaret. I'm going to pay a call on Norma Lacasso right now. She's the type to be jealous enough to... Marlowe, listen. You're making a mistake. That cigarette stuff must be Margaret's because Norma doesn't smoke. What? Norma doesn't smoke? What about the cigarette case? Hey, Buster, you better check with Lieutenant Matthews at Homicide. I'll see you later. Hey, hey, come back here, Marlowe. <laughs> Crest apartments fit Norma LaCasso to a tee. They were sleek, soft tones of burnished wood, streamlined in glass, just enough chrome around for glitter. And when she answered a door in glossy green, lounging pajamas etched in gold, smiled and tossed a head of hair that was almost burgundy back from her face. I knew what Alan Fomley meant. Loving Norma LaCasso would be hard to get over. Hello, Junior. Don't tell me you're joining the league, too. Fast, you know. Give it, baby. I'm coming in. Do you mind? They do any good? Get comfortable. I'll mix you a drink or something. Hey, Normie, you know Margaret Vesey, don't you? That peculiar girl that stays at your house, No, I'm not a A little while ago, she dropped three floors from an open window to a slab of concrete. Lay there over 30 minutes before she was found. Oh, that's... Look at me like that. I, I mean it. I like Margaret. So do I. The more she didn't fall, she was pushed. Got a cigarette? Sure. Yes. Thanks. Oh, just one cigarette toss like that. Man, it's a lousy. You're supposed to pass the case and let the guests help themselves. Marlo, you're hurting. Oh. I'm going to keep right on twisting until that solid gold cigarette case drops. That's what I adore about men. They're full. That's better. Fella, I'd help yourself the picture's there under the bottom layer of cigarettes. But why it's important to be on me. It's important to Palmley, baby. Had you smuggled out of his office so I couldn't find it. Huh. Margaret and Gerard, it's a little amusement park. Mm hmm. They're Vancouver, probably. You told me how I used to take her out while she was recovering from that accident. So what? The autograph is what you Here. Must be his, even the hottest day in Vancouver's history. Now that's all of it. Now, will you apologize for these welts on my arm? I'll get it. Keep it sweet. The only way it would make any sense is. Come away, your phone book. Over there, under the phone. Why? What have you got, Marla? Just an idea so far. Stick around. It's the U.S. government. Four assets. Weather Bureau. Logical record here. Mutual. Listen, can you tell me what the hottest day on record in Vancouver has been? I mean, the date. Do you have that information? 
British Columbia? Yes, we've got it in. I'm pretty sure. Just a minute. I'm not sure yet. Yes, we've got it. It, Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. The book says the hottest day up there was on July 3, 1948, when the temperature reached 92 degrees. Some heat record, huh? That's a nice place, Vancouver. I was up there one year. Yeah, thanks, friend. The Weather Bureau has just lifted a cloud from a lady's mind. Hope you did it in time. So long. It works. Well, uh, aren't you going to pull a gun? They always do about here. Not me. I could. Also got dollar bills in your bloodstream instead of corpses. You're smart, baby. So take a tip. They're close to home. Don't even use the phone. A real nice, shiny item. I'd like to keep you that. Thanks. I'm going to take your book. But what? Well, as soon as I can stir it up. Normas and the time that had gone by, I figured my best bet was Gerard's place, but I was wrong. It was deserted, so I took the next best, which was Alan Pomley's The Pearls. Well, after two o'clock when I got there and the club was closed, but the lights were on, the office was upstairs. I parked, slipped around to the back and up a flight of iron stairs to a metal door at the top. I pressed my weight against it, very gently turned the knob, then tugged softly and it swung open without a sound. Voices in the same square of orange light on the floor said that Pomley's office was opening it. So I eased my gun into my hand so I could see there are jackals coming to terms over Since the Congress. I know your little form. secret, Mr. Gerard. The proposition I'm offering is perfectly fair. What is it? First, that you stop seeing Norma Lacasso. I mean, stop. Go on. Second, that you deliver $5,000 here to me by the end of the week. You must have got a lot of insurance on your wife, Gerard. Double indemnity, too. Am I asking too much? Blackmail leaves me no alternative. You're so right. How did you find out that she's not Margaret? Ah, <laughs> beautiful break. When you started seeing Miss LaCasa, I began checking up on you. And two days ago, that checking up led me to the strange woman you called Margaret Beasy and a character named Tompkins. Ever hear of him? No. An itinerant gardener was looking for work at your place. Also, Gerard, an itinerant gardener who knew your Margaret Beasy. Who knew her as someone named Grace. And Grace Gerard left me. But yes, not quite. When he called her, Grace had scared her. She couldn't do it, but I could. So I see. Where is this Tompkins now, Farmer? Oh, don't worry about him. I sent him away. He'll keep his mouth shut. He used to be a gardener on the wealthy side of Vancouver where your wife lived. Small world, eh? Very small. Look up. Now, wait a minute, Gerard. I'm going to kill you, Pompey. I knew something like this would happen someday. My wife was getting a memory back. She was beginning to remember things. To realize that she wasn't really Margaret Beasy at all. Margaret Beasy had died in the accident. I pushed her out of an open window. Now, I can assure me that she'll be dead by morning. Excuse me, you're building, Gerard, if you move one inch. You probably come around here, wait me at desk. Come on. This time I'm glad to see you, Marlowe. You're the lesser of two evils. That's great. That was a sweet story, fellas. Between you, you left out only one thing, the picture. You got it from the little album because you needed some tangible proof, didn't you, Pomley? And it cinched the deal because the accident happened on the 9th of July. Gerard here had his picture taken with a supposed hitchhiker on Vancouver's hottest day, which was July 3rd. Six days before he claims to have met the girl. Picture. How'd you manage the master stroke, Gerard, to switch an identity in the first place? Come on, talk, will you? It was a mistake. Miss Beasley and my wife were in the car at the time of the accident. The car burned. Then, somehow or other, later at the hospital, Margaret Beasley died. Identified my wife, Beasley. Since her memory was gone, you made the switch complete and called your wife Margaret Beasley and left it like that. You know, Gerard, I hope you make a break for it just once before we get to headquarters. Let's go. 
You too, family, move. All right, but you'll have a hard time sticking me, Snoop. I haven't done anything. Oh, yes, you have. Attempted extortion as of right now. You just incited a rat. Dr. Gray, to receiving ward, please. Dr. Gray. In here, Mr. Marlowe. Sure, it's all right if I see another. After what you just told me, I think it's a good idea. The condition has changed somewhat. It responded better than I expected, but it didn't do so well. Maybe you can hear me. I hope so. But don't take too long, then. Oh, Grace. I'm Philip Marlowe, remember? I do, Mr. I, I just stopped by to tell you that I have all the answers to those troublesome questions in mind. Don't be afraid of me. You've got nothing to worry about now except getting home. Yes, Now you've been away, Grace, for a long time. Now you'll be going home soon. finally got home, the air in my apartment was thick, full of stagnant fear and stale tobacco smoke. So I went over the window and opened it up. There I stopped because I remembered standing at that same window earlier that evening, standing there thinking how happy I was the world got there, and how happy I was to be inside, looking out. Then I saw again the five deep scratches of the casing. Inside looking out. There was a guy once, a long time ago, who said something like, No man is an island, tire of itself. Yeah, about 300 years ago he said that. Any man's death diminishes me, because I'm involved with mankind. Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Betty Lou Gerson, Ed Begley, Lillian Bayef, Paul Dubois, Jay DeBello, and Harry Bartell. Special music is composed and conducted by Richard Oran. Be sure and be with us next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time it was a wrestler on the skids. A quick change artist in an alley, and a girl with an eye for angles. All met destruction because a hundred thousand easy bucks 
caught him in a stranglehold, which none of them wanted to break. Next time you're in the woods, make sure that cigarette butt, that match, or that campfire is completely out. Only you can prevent forest fire. This is Paul Masterson speaking. Now stay tuned for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these same stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big. 